0: Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Too often when we think about obedience, it's joined by a companion called coercion. We obey because we fear the consequences of disobedience. There has to be a better way. Teaching team member Caleb Click continues the series, Rooted, a lifestyle of radical dependence with this sermon entitled, Rooted in Obedience, which covers James chapter 1 verses 17 to 25. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today.
1: This morning, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of James. And as you're turning there, you know I I know this this is a book that is not without controversy in the history of the church. Uh, This is one of those that people have wrestled with over the years, and perhaps most famously, Martin Luther wrestled with this book. Uh, The guy that started the Protestant Reformation, when he read the book of James, he couldn't escape the fact that this book was supposed to be part of the scriptures. But as he read it, it felt as though when he read it, on the surface, it seemed to be contradicting the gospel that he held so dear. Because when you read this book on the surface, it seems, it seems as though it's saying that you are saved, not by justification through faith alone, not by your hope in Christ alone, but by the works that you do. But here's what I hope we hear this morning. What James has for us in this text, it's not something that contradicts the gospel. But what James is offering to us, rather it's something that is deeply rooted in the gospel and in fact is a necessary implication of it. He is holding up to us faith and he is saying here is what faith, true faith actually looks like. Here's what he says, starting in verse 17. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, He brought us forth by the word of the truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive instead with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls." He will be blessed in his doing. This is God's word. And pray, Father. We ask this morning, Lord, as we come to a topic that, frankly, Lord, scares me a little bit. Lord, we pray that you would, as Jeff prayed earlier, Lord, give us soft hearts. But even more than that, Lord, I pray that you would protect us from anything false that would come from my lips. Lord, I pray that what we would hear this morning, as we dig into the James, the book of James. Lord it would be the sound of our savior's voice. That Lord we would hear his tenderness. We would hear his mercy. We would hear his grace. And Lord we would walk from this place clinging to him more tightly than we did walking in. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus our savior. Amen. When Jeff asked me to be a part of this series, he he gave me two options. Uh, I could preach on this particular topic, the topic of obedience, uh, or I could teach on self denial, which is what he did last week. And I, as you can tell, I chose this one. And not, not because I'm necessarily more comfortable with this topic. Uh, honestly, this is one that if I didn't know it was in the scriptures, I wouldn't want to have to teach it because it, I feel a little bit of what Luther did with this passage. You know, I, I grew up in the church. I grew up from a very early age hearing the gospel. I had parents who loved Jesus and who wanted me to love him too. And I can't say that I grew up and I didn't know the gospel. I I could have espoused it to you. I could have told you what it was, that I was a sinner, that my only hope was in Jesus as my savior, that he had died to atone for my sins and that my hope, it rested in him completely and totally. But if you were to really dig down into what I practically believed, Not what I said I believed, but how I functionally lived. What you would have heard instead was this. God's love and my salvation, it depends on what I do. And if I don't live up to a certain standard, if I'm not able to follow God and obey the commands that I see in the word, if I'm not able to be a Christian of a certain type who looks a certain way, then I have absolutely no confidence that he actually loves me. I have no confidence that I have a future. I have no confidence that I have a hope. And as a little kid, I remember very distinctly this fear beginning to work its way in the back of my mind. That what happens, what happens if everything I do, if everything I do isn't good enough? What happens, what happens if I fail? Does God love me then? Do I have hope then? And every year that I believed that, there was this weight that just seemed to get heavier and heavier and heavier. Until my freshman year of college, God in his mercy turned on the lights. And I realized that this gospel, this thing that I would believed in my heart, it wasn't the true gospel at all. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, It's not a God who loves us when we love him. It's not a God who saves us because we do things for him. It's a God who loved us before we ever loved him. It's a God whose love isn't fickle, whose love doesn't change. He's the God that James is speaking here in this text, the one in whom there is no shadow of turning. And he's the God who in mercy has provided everything that I need in Jesus, who performed for me so that I know I know I don't have to, who lets me know that God's love, it doesn't depend on my performance. Rather, I can know his love because I've seen it in the face of Jesus. And so when I come to James, I feel it. But here, here's what I've become absolutely convinced of. What James is saying here in this text, uh, it's not something that opposes what I've just said. It's not a contradiction. It's not an anomaly. It's not this thing that you find only in this book and nowhere else in the Bible. Instead, when you hear from James, it's a theme that runs from Genesis to Revelation from one end of the Bible all the way to the other, and it's this, God's redeemed people. They are to be those who not only hear the words of God, they are to be those who do them. You see it everywhere. It's the reason that the prophets condemn Israel so often in the Old Testament, because God's people, they had God's word in the scriptures, they heard it from the lips of the prophets, and yet what did God's people do over and over and over again? They closed their ears and they hardened their hearts and they did not obey. You see it in Paul. Paul, in every single one of his letters, he gives chapter after chapter detailing the grace of God and the gospel, this savior in Jesus who does for us what we could never do for ourselves, who tells us that our hope, it is completely and totally in him. But then what does Paul do in every one of his letters after he finishes with that? He says, here are now the implications for how you're supposed to live. That gospel, it doesn't leave you standing still. It transforms the very nature of your life and changes every single thing that you do. And you don't just see it in the Old Testament prophets and Paul. You hear it on the lips of Jesus. Over and over again, Jesus in the gospels, he says, the one who is truly mine, the one who is blessed, It's not the one who just hears the word, it's the one who does it. Look at just a few. Luke eight, verse 21. My mother and my brothers, my true family, those who are closer to me than my flesh and blood, they are those who hear the word of God and do it. Matthew seven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but who? the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and when the storm came, that house, it didn't fall because it was built on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. When the storm came, and hit that house, great was the fall of it. Jesus, Jesus, the prophets, Paul, and James, every one of them comes back to this same theme. Hearing and obeying, hearing and doing, they are somehow so important That if both of them are not present in our lives, then Jesus himself would beg you to ask whether you know him at all. Because you can know the gospel of Christ and yet somehow miss the Christ of the gospel. And it shows itself in this. When Jesus calls, do we answer? When God speaks from his word, do we respond? Or are we the ones that James is warning of in this text who hear the word and only hear it and deceive ourselves about what we truly are? The gospel, the gospel says that faith, true faith, it always expresses itself in obedience. And it's for this reason It's not because it's the cause of your salvation. It's because it's the fruit of those who've been made new by the word of the gospel of Christ. James, James isn't saying anything different than Paul. James is not speaking of a graceless gospel. James, James is saying, no, the reason that you obey, it's this, it's God has made you something new in Christ. Look at how he starts. In verse 18, he says, the father of lights, the one who gives every good and every perfect gift, the one in whom there is no shadow of turning, the one who never changes, who never shifts, whose word is always true. He took you and he took me and he has made us a people for himself, how? Out of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of the truth. Hear what he's saying. James is saying, if you're in Christ, you are what you are, not because of anything you did. You are that way because God himself, the one who spoke the heavens and the earth into being, he spoke into existence something that did not exist in you before. He transformed you into something that you were not. Those who were his enemies become his children. Those who were hostile to him become his friends. Those who are condemned become those who are forgiven. Those who once were looked at and said, all you have are wickedness and unrighteousness. They are declared righteous in Jesus. They are made something holy and completely new. And James says it was for this specific purpose that we would be, as he says in the rest of verse 18, a kind of first fruits of creation. He said, here's why God saved you. It was that you and I as God's people we would be a foretaste of the redemption that one day is going to consume the heavens and the earth. A living picture of the kingdom that has come and is coming again. A people transformed by the gospel who live as lights in the midst of a dark world. James, James isn't saying go and bear good fruit and become a good tree. James is saying, no, Jesus You were bad trees. Jesus says, we were all bad trees and you bore only bad fruit, but guess what he's done in the gospel? He has made you a good tree. Not by your own work, but by his. Now go and be what God in Christ has made you and empowered you to be. A people born of the word, who live by that word, and who when they hear it, They don't hear it only, they obey it. And that starts with something on the surface seems so simple, yet it's something that I think we're all prone to forget. As God's people, we must listen to the word. Verse 19, know this my beloved brothers, as those born again by the word, as those now a part of God's beloved family, let every person be quick to hear slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Uh, You know, if I've learned one thing in my almost 10 years of marriage to Mallory, it's this, uh, and this is free marriage advice for anyone that is newly married or going to be married someday. This is important. It doesn't matter if I desire to serve her and I have the will to serve her if I don't first actually listen to what she has to say. It's shocking, right? You actually have to listen to somebody if you're gonna love them. If you want to provide for them what they need, if you're gonna care for them in the way they desire, that means you can't just start talking and you can't just start doing. You first have to open up your ears and you have to listen. James says there's nowhere that's more true than when it comes to the people of God. If we are gonna produce the righteousness of God, as he says, if we were to be those not just declared righteous, but who demonstrate that righteousness, who exhibit to a watching world the reality of God's kingdom, the kingdom that has come and is coming in full, that means before anything else, there is this one thing that has to be cultivated in all our hearts. We have to be a listening people, quick to hear. Now, I think all growing up, I have misunderstood the verse that we just read. And every time that I've read it, I always thought it was relational advice. I'm supposed to be quick to hear the people around me because if I'm quick to hear and I'm slow to speak and I'm slow to anger, I'm more likely to love them in the way that God desires of me and thus exhibit his righteousness. Now, I just wanna make really clear, that is a perfectly fine, and in fact, I would say true application of this text. But it's not the point. Because what's James talking about in this passage? He cares about the way we interact with each other. The rest of the book makes that perfectly clear, but what is he concerned about first and foremost in the verses we just read? James, he wants our ears tuned to one thing before anything else, the word of God. It's that word in verse 18 he says has birthed us. It's that word, he says in verse 21, that has been implanted in our hearts and is able to say, it's that word that we are to hear and we are to do. It is that word that you see in verse 25 in the law of liberty, the perfect law, that when it is obeyed brings blessing. And James is saying, as God's people, there is one thing you are to hear before you hear anything else. The word of God contained in the scriptures and fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. His is the voice that you are to hear before your own feelings and before your own thoughts. His is the voice that orients you to the reality of the world that you inhabit, that tells you the truth, not just about people out there, but about you and who you are. His is the voice that tells you where your true hope is found and what true life actually looks like. And James is saying, "As God's people. If we want to produce his righteousness and be what he has redeemed us to be, it starts with this. We have to listen to him before anything else. And he goes on and he mentions these two things which on the surface seem out of place. Quick to hear slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, if he's talking about the word, why do those two things follow? I think the reason's pretty straightforward. James, if he's anything, James is a simple, practical man. And he's talking about a listening that doesn't get sequestered to your prayer closet in the morning. He's not talking about listening just when you're doing your quiet times in a little portion of your day. He's saying, I want this to be a listening. This is to be a listening that consumes the entirety of your life. This world where you are interacting with other people and this world where we so often face circumstances that anger and that frustrate us. And in the midst of that world, what are the two things that so often stand in the way of listening to anybody? One, we talk when we should be listening. And two, we get angry. I mean, just think about this for a second. This is common sense stuff. When's the last time you met somebody who talked a lot and actually listened well? The person who talks the most is almost always the person who listens to the least, aren't they? And anger, when's the last time your anger took control and you became a better listener? I know this from experience, Anger, anger doesn't open your ears. Anger closes them because anger doesn't look at the person standing in the room with us and see a friend who is deserving of our sympathy, someone who is worthy of listening to what anger sees. They see an enemy, an enemy that needs to be destroyed and an enemy that needs to be put down. And when anger is in your heart, you're not going to be listening. You're going to be doing things you're going to be regretting and saying things you wish you hadn't. And if in that moment you can't hear the voice of the person who is in the room, James would ask you, what makes you think you'll hear the voice of God there too? James says, as God's people, stop, still your tongues, still your hearts, and listen to the word. Hear the voice of the one who speaks to you tenderly as the lover of your soul. Hear the voice of the one who again and again tells you that your hope, it's not in this world and it's not in your circumstances, it's not in those things that are being threatened that make you angry. Instead, it is one who has died and who has risen and who sits at the Father's right hand and there is nothing that can shake that hope and nothing that can change that future. And you, as a child of the living God, you have every single thing that you need. Hear the word that invites you and me and everyone who believes in Christ over and over to pick up our cross and follow him because it is in doing so that we actually find life. And James says that word, we're not just to listen to it. It's a word that we have to receive. In Verse 21, he says, therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. Now, if you're ever going through this text and you're like me in your quiet times, uh, this is usually the verse that my eyes just kind of roll past. Uh, I look at the quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, and I think, well, there's, there's a meaty one that I can wrestle with, and then the one that comes later, be doers of the word, not hearers only. That one, that one seems to have some weight. This, this seems like the transition verse. And if that's what you've thought, you have missed something precious, because this, this is the gospel. Look at what James is doing. James is giving you, on the one hand, this brutal realism And on the other hand, this glorious, certain hope that you've received in Christ. Because remember, who is James talking to? James isn't talking to non-Christians. He's not talking to people outside the church. James, he's talking to beloved brothers and sisters. He's talking to those born again by the word of God and he is saying to you, guess what? Here's what your life is going to look like. It's not gonna be a life where you are totally free from sin. It's not gonna be a life where you are suddenly perfect in your heart. It is suddenly totally submitted to the will of God. Instead, here's reality. Every single day you wake up, there is filthiness and moral uncleanness and rampant wickedness that has to be put away. It has to be taken off like a set of dirty clothes and it has to be set to the side and it is a wickedness that is so pervasive even in the people of God. Notice what he says. They're translating the Greek here. This is one of those where it's hard for them to contain fully what this word means, but it's basically this. If your heart is a garden, then God in his mercy, he has caused it to produce fruit. But it is a garden that is full of weeds, and the experience of the Christian is this. Every day you are pulling those weeds from the ground. And every day you're discovering that where you thought there was only a few weeds, there are more and more and more and more and more. It is a wickedness that overflows. But James, James is a realist, but James, he's not a man who's given to despair. Because at the very same time that he gives you that picture, he also gives you this hope. He says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, with humility, the implanted word, which is able to save. Hear what James is saying. The filthiness and rampant wickedness that so fills our lives, it's not, it is not a part of who we are. They are clothes that can be taken off and set aside. They are a part of what we once were, but now in Christ are no longer. But then notice what he says about the word. It has come so near and it has come so close that it has become intrinsic to who you are. It's the implanted word the word that has come so near it can never leave. It's the seed of the gospel whose roots are digging ever deeper in your heart and whose hold is growing ever stronger. This word, that in the midst of this world of rampant wickedness, where we see our sin more deeply with every passing day, James says this word, this word of the gospel of Jesus, This God who doesn't just raise his people to new life, but fills them with his spirit. This God who is tender, even with the bruised and the broken, it is a word that is able to save. To bit by bit, day by day, take what God has declared you to be in Jesus and slowly but surely make you that in full. But James says, if that word is to have its way, it has to be received. Meekness. You know, I can't tell you the number of times I've screwed things up, not because I didn't have instructions and not because I didn't listen, but because in the moment I decided that I knew better than whatever it was I was hearing. I used to have this old Beater Honda Accord and it had survived a lot. I mean, it made it through college. It made it through the first few years of youth ministry, which is brutal to a car it survived the winters of St. Louis and the trek from Missouri to Augusta where we had our first pastoral call. But I, for some reason, had gotten it in my head that that little decal that goes in your windshield in the left corner, you know, the one that tells you what mileage you need to get your oil changed? I had become convinced based on absolutely no research, but just because I think I heard somebody say at one time that that decal was a suggestion. And that when my car hit that mileage and my odometer said the same thing as that sticker, that that was telling me that I could go get my oil changed, but that really, because the car companies really just want to steal my money, uh, they're trying to make me do it earlier than I have to. And really, I've got a few more thousand miles before I have to do anything. So one day, as I was driving around in my car, I look up and I realize, you know what? I've hit that mileage. But in my car that sicker, it was speaking to me and I decided in that moment that I knew better. I thought, I still have a few thousand more miles. I'm not gonna get scammed, I'm too smart for that sicker. And then the light in my car came on and that light began to flash in me every single time I turned the car on. But once again, I thought, it's the same car manufacturers, they're still trying to scam me, this couldn't be true. I'm gonna keep driving this because I have a few thousand more miles, I'm convinced. Well, then one day, driving down Washington Road, probably singing at the top of my lungs some stupid songs, that's what I do. My car just goes silent and the engine that had been roaring just a few minutes before because it was old and obnoxious, uh, it suddenly goes quiet and I find myself slowly but surely coasting to the side of the road and in my head there is this voice going, oh no, this is what that sign meant. This is why this mileage thing was sitting here in my window. This is why my car has been flashing at me. It's been screaming to me, here is wisdom. Here is what you should do if you want to save your car. But because I was too proud, and a little stupid, because I was too proud, I didn't hear it. I didn't receive it. James, James says the word of the gospel in Christ, this isn't a word that saves your car. This is a word that saves your soul. This is the word that transforms the world you live in. This is the word that takes the dead and makes them alive. This is the word that takes those whose hearts are full of wickedness and slowly but surely conforms them to the image of God. And it is a word not just to be heard with our ears but to be received in our hearts. It is a word that we are to receive even when our feelings scream out against it even when it feels as though it contradicts everything we know to be true and everything that our eyes see, James says, this word, it is the only word that saves. And yet so often, what is it we do with this word? We treat it like I treated that mileage decal in my car. We hear it, we see it, but when it speaks to those places that we hold dear, So those things that we hold as precious. So often, if you're like me, there's been moments where you think, well, no, I think I know better here. And I think I'm going to go another way. And what James would say to you is that is not the way towards life. It is the word that is not just to be listened to. It is the word that is to be received because it is the word that saves. And that word. It's not just to be heard, and it's not just to be received. It's to be obeyed. James says in verse 22, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law that has been fulfilled in Jesus so that it no longer condemns, the law of liberty, the law that no longer enslaves because you've been made new but now sets you free and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James says, here's the crux of the matter. If the word is only heard, and that word is not embodied, if it is not done, then the question that we have to ask is simply this. Are we really what we think we are? Or are we something else? And he gives this illustration. An illustration on the surface seems complicated, but really it just has one basic point. He says, on the one hand, there's a man who's looking into the mirror and he sees who he is. He sees his face, he sees his eyes, he sees his ears, he sees his teeth, he sees the shaving cream that's still hanging from his ear and that mirror, it is beckoning him to respond. It is saying, there's something you need to do based on the information you have in front of you. There is something that needs to be wiped away, something that needs to be combed, something that needs to be brushed. And that man looking into the mirror, peering at it intently, studying it voraciously, He then turns on his heel and forgets everything that he's just seen. He looks into the mirror, but he is not changed by what he sees in the mirror. James says, the other man, he looks just as intently. He studies just as voraciously. But when he looks into the word, when he looks into the face of Jesus Proclaimed in the scriptures, he sees the truth about who he is. He sees the truth about who Jesus is. He sees the truth about life as it was created to live, and he hears the voice of Jesus beckon to him. And instead of walking away and forgetting, this man, he's changed by it. He perseveres, he continues in the company of the word. And James. And what I think is a direct quote from Jesus in Luke 11, James says, that man who hears that word and does the word, that is the one who is blessed, who experiences the life that Jesus himself promises to give. You know, if you want to sum up James, it's simply this. And I don't think this is just James. I think this is just the gospel. The gospel contains two things. It contains saving power, and it contains a summons to obedience. And if our lives reflect only part of that, then what Jesus and James and all the scriptures would beg us to ask is, have we embraced the gospel at all? A few weeks ago, I was reading through a book about George MacDonald. George McDonald's one of my favorite writers. He wrote fantasy stuff in back the 1800s and he also was a, a pastor and a preacher. But McDonald has this profound insight into the miracles of Jesus. He says, when you look at the gospels and you see Jesus perform miracles, notice how almost every time he performs a miracle, he always gives a corresponding command. He doesn't just say, be healed and then walk away. No, Jesus, he invites the person the miracles being performed on to do something. When Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus, he doesn't just say, Lazarus, come alive. What does Jesus do? He says, Lazarus, come out. When Jesus sees the man on the Sabbath day whose hand has been crippled and gnarled and no longer can open itself, Jesus doesn't pry the man's hand open and say, now it's fixed. No, Jesus says what? Stretch out your hand. When Jesus sees the lame man in the gospel of John who hasn't walked in 38 years, Jesus says, Jesus doesn't grab him under the armpits and lift him in the air and say, your legs are fixed. Jesus looks down at the man on his mat, the man who hasn't walked in 38 years, and he says, pick up your mat and walk. When Jesus invites to faith, it is always a faith expressed through obedience. But do not miss this. The lame man picking up his mat is no more the cause of his healing than your obedience is the cause of your salvation. How does the lame man pick up his mat? It's not what causes his healing. It's the fruit. When Lazarus comes out of the tomb, it's because Jesus already made him alive. When the man whose hand is crippled stretches it out, it's not because that action heals him, it's because Jesus has already made his hand whole. When the lame man picks up his mat, it's not because that's what gets him his legs, it's because Jesus already gave them to him. James, James is saying, here's the gospel. We were bad trees who bore only bad fruit. And Jesus Jesus has made you something new. A good tree born of the word by the power of the spirit that is actually able to bear good fruit. Be what God has made you and redeemed you and empowered you to be. The people of God who exhibit to a watching world the first fruit of redemption that will one day consume all things. I'll close with this. One of my favorite George MacDonald stories is this fairy tale he has called The Princess and the Goblin. And it's a story that is about exactly what the title says it is. It's about a princess whose kingdom is being threatened by an army of goblins. And this group of goblins is going to destroy everything that she knows and everything that she loves. And they've captured her best friend, this little boy named Curdie. And the princess, she doesn't know what to do. She's a little girl, she's alone, She's just one person in the face of an army of goblins and none of the adults in her life, her father, the king, none of them seem to listen to her when she tells them what's going on. But there's one person, there's one person who in the midst of this crisis listens to her, her fairy godmother. And her fairy godmother comes to her and she gives her this ring, a magic ring. And attached to the ring, there's a thread a thread that you can't see with the naked eye, but that when she reaches out her hand, she can feel it. And her fairy godmother says to her this, so long as you follow this thread, so long as you go wherever this thread leads you, so long as you go forward and do not go back, so long as you hear what this is telling you to do and you follow it wherever it will lead you, so long as you follow this thread, even if it leads you into the very heart of the goblin's lair, even if every bone in your body screams that the way you are going is death, even if it leads you into a place that seems darker than any place you have ever known, follow the thread because you know this, the way it leads is the way to life and you will be safe. If you follow the thread, you will find Curdy and you will save Curdy, and you will escape the goblins. And not only will you escape them, you will save the kingdom and you will come home. And the little girl says to her fairy godmother, how can I know that this will be true? And Her godmother says, because the thread is attached to me. James, James says, that thread is attached to my brother Jesus. And it is a thread that we hear in the word of the gospel. That word that caused us to be born again, that word that saves, that word that blesses, that word that sets the captives free. That word that we have seen in the face of Jesus. And it's Jesus, the one who loved us and gave himself for us while we were still sinners. It's that Jesus who stands in resurrection glory and bids each and every one of us to hear and to do one thing, follow the thread of his voice. Because even if it leads you into a place that looks like death, even if it leads you somewhere that on your own you would never go, even if every bone in your body cries, go back, you can respond to that call with joy because you know this, so long as it is attached to him, that thread, it doesn't lead to death, it leads to life. And the blessing that only Jesus can give, the kingdom that has come and will one day come in full and of which we as his people get to be a part. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that in you we have a great savior. We have a Lord in Jesus who loved us and who loves us still and who does not let his people go. And we pray, Lord, that you would grip our hearts ever tighter with your word. That, Lord, that implanted word would tune our ears to hear your voice and yours alone. And we would be a people here in this church who with all our lives and with all our hearts, Lord, we don't just hear the word, we don't just listen to it, we don't just receive it, but, Lord, we obey it. That we would fulfill the very purpose for which you redeemed us that we would be a picture of the redemption that you can bring and that will one day consume all things. Be with us now, in Jesus' name,
0: amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia.